Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. So good morning. I'm glad to be here with you as we continue to study the gospel of uh, Matthew. We're going verse by verse through this book, this biography that tells us about the life and ministry, of course, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And today's going to be very interesting depending on your upbringing and kind of your view of the Bible and what you were taught when you uh, grew up. And it's, you know, pretty, depending on how you were brought up or what you think about the Bible, it's going to be a little different on how you handled this this subject. You see, if you grew up in church, you're probably going to have a difficult time with what we're going to talk about. Uh, but please understand, you're not alone. Uh, even the people in Jesus's time had a very hard time understanding him and took a long time for even the disciples to lean in and really grasp what he was teaching about what he had come to do. And if you didn't grow up in church, or perhaps if you're a skeptic of the Bible and how all this thing works out, you're probably going to be super relieved today. You're going to be like, wow, I wish someone would have taught me this a long time ago. In fact, you might be upset about some well-meaning Christians who've tried to talk to you about the faith before and never explained this part about who Jesus is to you. And, and it's okay. Don't get upset at them. Just be glad you're here because what we're going to talk about and unpack is a little difficult to grasp. You see, Jesus makes some profound statements. I mean, profound statements on how to understand how to read, and how to apply the Bible. And, and what he says today, and we're going to look at just a couple of verses, sets the stage for how then we look at the entire Old Testament or, or the Jewish scripture, what we call the Old Testament. And you see, so many people get caught up with the things in the Old Testament. They get very upset. In fact, they get turned off to the faith for some of the things it says. And, and I really do understand that. I, I get it. I understand how something that is thousands of years old can be difficult and hard to grasp and kind of make sense of. I mean, for instance, for me, when I just think about our country just 80 years ago, not thousands of years ago, but just 80 years ago and how um, our country was segregated and how people thought of other people just because they had a different skin color, even though Bible says they're made in God's image. Like I, I get very confused about how somebody could think that way. Like I don't understand it. So if I try to understand something that's a couple of thousands of years old, I don't expect to get it perfectly. That's kind of, kind of what happens when you read ancient documents. You can't make sense of it all. It doesn't all perfectly make sense. In fact, when we read what happened a couple thousand years ago, it's as almost if they're just a different planet. I mean, there's still humans dealing with the same stuff, but if you look at our world today with our technology and the things we're able to do and what it was like 4,000 years ago, we'd probably all agree it's a bit different, yeah? Very different, just like it's different here to Aner. I mean, imagine 3,000 years ago. Right? Just, whoa, way, way different. And so for me, I get very quick to judge people who lived 80 years ago. It upsets me, to be completely honest. It upsets me, but I have to remember, I didn't live in that time. I didn't have those parents. I didn't grow up in the thing. So I got to give them grace. I got to give them a break and just realize I'm, I'm just glad things changed how they did. But so whenever I read something a couple thousand years old, I definitely got to give them a break. 
I got to understand that I'm not going to understand everything they were going through, everything they thought, how the culture was, how the world was. There's just some disconnect there all together. And so although it's so different, the thing I want you to lean in and understand today is, is when we, we get upset about that kind of stuff, we have to understand then who Jesus is, the things Jesus claimed. And I'm telling you, walking away from Jesus is just crazy because what he taught 2,000 years ago has, has what people have stood the ground for, for all these human rights issues, for people of color or slavery or women's issues. I mean, Jesus is the one who, who changed that. His teachings have just permeated and changed the world as we knew it, know it. In fact, Jesus tells us how to view the Old Testament, the troubling things we may read, the things that are going to be difficult for us to understand. And listen, we're not going to try to package it and make it all tight and neat and pretty because that's, that's not what you do with history. It, it is what it is, and it says what it says. You, you just kind of look at it that way. But now we see Jesus and what he says, and it should open our eyes and open our minds to even what we do with those things. If we start with Jesus, he pulls it all together in an amazing way for us to just grasp what God is doing and what he claimed to do. You see, remember last week we learned that following Jesus is going to be a little different. In fact, he calls us to be different if we're going to make a difference in this world. And he warns us and he warns them that if you follow him, if you follow the teaching of Jesus, people aren't going to understand in fact, the religious people of the day didn't understand. He said, listen, if you follow me, people are going to claim all sorts of evil things about you. They're going to persecute you because of me. Meaning just being a Jesus follower is going to cause some tension in your life, and you're just going to have to, to deal with it. And you're like, well, how did Jesus know this? Because he was dealing with it. He was involved in it. That, that the very people that claim that they were waiting for the Messiah, waiting for God to move, Jesus is saying, here I am. And they're like, nope. That's not what we want. You see, when things go our way, the way we like them, the way we want, it's easy to accept God moving, isn't it? But when they go the opposite of what we want, when they go the opposite of our preference, they go the opposite of what we think is true, and he's like, no, no, hey, I'm God, I'm, I'm going to do something here. We're like, hmm, we struggled. They struggled. But Jesus clarifies this whole thing for us, and here's what he says, verse 17 he says, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. So check this out. Jesus is being accused of breaking the scriptures. Jesus is accused of being too forward thinking, not doing the same things the way everybody else has done. We've never heard anything like that before, have we? You laugh. We're in church. It's okay to laugh at ourselves. It's okay. But this has been going around for thousands of years. And Jesus saying, hey, I didn't, I didn't come for that. So they're accusing him of this. But notice this. He says, first, don't misunderstand why I have come. Now, this statement needs to stick out to us. He says it a couple of times in this gospel, but it's a really awkward way to talk about yourself. It's as if Jesus was coming for a purpose. It's as if Jesus was coming for a mission. Is that Jesus had a plan and a purpose, and God had a plan and a purpose, and Jesus showed up and said, hey, I got something to do. There's a reason why I'm here. There's a reason why God sent me. The intentionality and the awareness of Jesus for his purpose needs to stick out if we're his people. 
Because we need to intentionally be helping people find Jesus, follow Jesus, because that's what he was intentional about. Like, he had a mission, he had a purpose, he had a plan. He says, so I've come. I didn't come to abolish that stuff. He said, no, no, no. I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses. The law of Moses is the first five books of the Bible. That's how they described it. And then he said, nor did I, so here's the law of Moses, first five books of the Bible, nor the writings of the prophets, which is the rest of it. The rest of what we call the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures. He said, I, I didn't come to abolish it. Don't accuse me of not following scripture. I came to fulfill it, to accomplish it. And so the word fulfill that's translated accomplished here, Jesus saying, I came to fulfill it, to, to take care of it, to tie it up, to finish it. And that word fulfill should stick out to us if we're Bible readers. We've talked about it a little bit, but we haven't really landed on it yet for our purposes. Matthew, as we've seen throughout this gospel, has showed us very, a lot of Old Testament scriptures Jesus came to what? Fulfill. And so Matthew's been like, yeah, he fulfilled this, he fulfilled this, for this. Jesus is like, no, no, hold on, don't, mm-mm. I didn't fulfill a couple of scriptures. I fulfilled all of it. All of it? That is a massive claim for somebody to make. Jesus is saying, I came to accomplish the whole purpose of your scriptures. Scott McKnight says this. He says, we must consider the mind-numbing claim here by Jesus. He is claiming that he fulfills in a salvation, historical, theological, and moral manner what the Torah and the prophets anticipated and predicted preliminary and preliminary taught. And so it's one thing, check this out, here's what's going on. It's one thing for Jesus to say, listen, I do miracles like Moses and Elijah. They'd be like, wow. It's like, or I predict the future like Isaiah. They'd be like, wow. He's like, no, 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 I don't just do those things. I came to fulfill the whole thing, like all of it. It was about me. Like, what? Yeah, Jesus, I mean, he's, he, <laughs> this is a big claim. He's like, the whole thing was about me. And my whole mission is to fulfill the whole thing. The whole scriptures, all of it. Its purposes is met in me. So what Jesus is saying is when we read the Bible, when we read the Old Testament or the New Testament, we need to see then Jesus as the central figure to it all. So for New Testament Christians, when we go back and read the Old Testament, we need to go ahead and understand we don't pretend like we don't know about Jesus yet. We have to see Jesus in it all because he says it points to him and he Well, the whole story of Israel is summed up in Jesus and what he came to do. Verse 18, he says, I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So Jesus is saying, look, we're not not throwing away the law. We're not saying the law is pointless. We're not saying, hey, this is, it just... um, done away with or been abolished, but rather he's saying it served its purpose. Like it had a point, there was a reason, and the reason is Jesus. So the Old Testament is a revelation from God, but finds its purpose in Jesus Christ. So the principles remain from the Old Testament. They're they're principles. We can still read them to understand and learn about Jesus and see how it points to him. But the purpose of it, Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension, all is the purpose found in Christ. So it all points to Jesus. He is the reason. It's about him. And so imagine Jesus is taking their entire scriptures and saying, oh, I don't think I came to do, do away with it. No, I fulfilled it. They're like, what kind of guy would say this? 
Like this is a massive claim he is making. In verse 19, he says, So, if you ignore the least commandments and teach others to do the same, you'll be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so at first it's like, wait, you came to accomplish it. Now you want me to keep it all? Like, Jesus, how does this make sense? Now listen, he's not telling us to go back under the law. We know that for a fact. He's telling us that it's been accomplished. And since then it's been accomplished, we have to look him, look to him for what the purposes of the law and how to carry that out now. It's just like we can't take a test that's already been taken. If there's already been a test laid out, someone's already taken it for you. You can't take the test because it's been what? It's done. It's been accomplished. Jesus took it. Jesus passed it. It's been done. So Jesus has accomplished the old covenant, right? The old covenant is what Israel was under. He accomplished this old covenant and now starts a new covenant, a new way, and extends it and opens it up to anybody under him. He's like, you relate to God now through me. And so what Jesus is saying to bring this together now, by following Jesus, we follow the laws of God because he fulfilled it. And so Jesus fulfilled and accomplished the purposes of the law through his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension. So therefore, we obey the law by obeying Jesus. So obeying Jesus is a very big deal. Following Jesus is the way we honor God, the way we obey God. He reveals more than what was revealed in the past. It's called progressive revelation. That's what theologians call it. Now, so we know Jesus isn't teaching we have to stay under the law because he fulfilled it. That wouldn't make any sense. If it's done, it's done. It's as if there's been accomplished. There's nothing more to accomplish. So now his call to follow him is the way we follow God. So following Jesus is following God. I've done it, so follow me, and I'll show you how now to live under God. So his claims... This is a big deal, and I know I'm repeating myself. This is a big deal because of what we're about to talk about. He's saying, I've done it. I've taken care of it. You don't look back to the Old Testament now. You're not under that. That's not what it's for. And in Jesus, it all comes crashing together. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, when God speaks of a new covenant, which is what Jesus established, it means he has made the first one. What's that word? Obsolete. Can you say that in church? It's in the Bible. The old covenant, the old laws, it's, it's obsolete. It's now out of date and will soon disappear. That's in your Bible. You can look it up for yourself. So in Christ, through his death, resurrection, and ascension, he has fulfilled the law. That is the old covenant and has now given us a new one. So you and me, we're not under the old covenant. We're not under the old law. Paul puts it this way. He says, before... Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the, what is that word? Law. We were kept in its protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. The way of faith, that being Jesus, was revealed. He says, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian, our babysitter, until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. It's like, what do you mean? Well, Paul, Paul's a New Testament, the Old Testament scholar. He said Christ has fulfilled it. So we are no longer under that law. The purpose of the law was to reveal our sin and reveal how far away we were from God. And the law guarded us, protected until Jesus came, the way of faith came. He accomplished its purposes and then gave us a new 
covenant. So that doesn't mean the Old Testament's pointless. It has a point, and the point is Jesus. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. He says, these things happen. This is the Old Testament, the, Old, the, the Hebrew scriptures. He says, these things happen to them as a what? Example, right? So we can look back and see what it looks like to be a person of God. We can look back and see what it means to follow God and what righteousness looks like and, and the, the callings he places on people's lives. He says, they were written down long ago to warn us who live at the end of this age. So we can see the seriousness of following God through the Old Testament. But then Paul also says this, and I think this is Scott's favorite verse right here. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. So when you look at the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures and you look at the promises of those, they've been yes in who? In Christ. Those promises have been fulfilled in Christ. That covenant is now done away with. It's not thrown to the side, but it's been accomplished. It's been completed in Jesus Christ. So we don't cling to the promises of the Old Testament, but we can cling to the promises of Jesus Christ. And they are far more vast and far more comforting than what the Old Covenant or what the Old Testament teaches. And so if we were to bring this together, what Jesus claims is radical. You're like, Brian, it's not that. It is they killed him for it. Like this was a radical claim. The covenant, all of this has been fulfilled in me. I've accomplished it. He's making himself the center stage. Like who, who would do something like that? Jesus says, I am. And so this idea that Jesus was just this nice guy who taught some nice thing isn't an option when you understand and actually read what he teaches and luckily for us, how do we view the Old Testament? What does it look like? What was it pointing to? What is Jesus' interpretation of, of how we work all that out? Thankfully, he tells us, Matthew twenty two thirty seven. they came to Jesus and said, hey, what's the most important thing to do? What does it look like? He says this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. So following the law now means following Jesus. And following Jesus, he says, this is what it's summed up with. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. To love God, to love yourself, and to love other people. And then we get on board with what he's doing in this world. What's he doing? Well, he's loving people. He was on a mission to save people. He's on a mission to reach people, to bring them out of darkness and find salvation in him. Like this whole I have come thing needs to resonate with us because he has come to give us life. And then we go and share and spread the message with other people. And so what does this mean for us? That means for us, when we read the Bible, the both Old Testament and New Testament, we need to understand that Jesus is central to the story. Jesus is central to our interpretation for both sides. We see it pointing to him. We don't need to try to make it tidy and neat. We don't have to explain away some of the things it says. We just says, hey, it says what it says. But we know what Jesus has come to do. We don't have to justify the Old Testament. When someone tries to trip you up to like, hey, but Leviticus says this. None of you study Leviticus, okay? Let's just be honest. So you Googled it. And they're like, Leviticus says this. But like, yeah, in Christ, I don't know. I don't know about that. But I know what Jesus came to do. I know what Jesus says, and he says his purpose, he fulfilled it. 
and calls us to love God, love ourselves, and love other people. And so here's the big idea. Unless you're an Orthodox Jew, the law is not for you. Unless you are an Orthodox Jew, the law is not for you. So then, what do we do with the Ten Commandments? What do we do with the stuff that Christians get so riled up about? Well, we have to understand, and this is, this is what Jesus got in trouble for. This is it. We have to understand that while they're great principles, and they are God's word, it served its purpose, and we are no longer under that law. You're like, wait, wait. That's what Jesus said. I fulfilled it. I've accomplished it. And I know some well-meaning Christians, maybe you've heard this before, where they break up the law and the moral, civil, ceremonial, and, and they're like, we're under some of it, but not all of it. And while I appreciate their efforts, it's not a biblical idea at all. It's just someone trying to make it all tight and neat. But that's not found in the scriptures at all. Jesus says he has fulfilled the law. That doesn't mean it's less of God's word. It served its purpose and accomplished in Jesus Christ. But what we have to understand is as Christians, as Jesus followers, what he's calling us is not to be under the old covenant, not to be under the law. We are not bound by that. You see, God bound the Israelites by that. Read Deuteronomy 28. You will see a ton of blessings and a ton of what? What's the opposite of a blessing? You can't curse in church. How dare you? That was a bad dad joke, wasn't it? That was terrible. But in Deuteronomy 28, you're going to see a ton of blessings and a ton of cursings, uh, curses for the law. That's not for us Christians. We are not under that covenant that has been fulfilled. That is why we don't make temple sacrifices. That's why we don't keep the Sabbath. You're like, I absolutely do. The Sabbath was on what day, folks? We don't, we're not under the law. That's why you don't have to be circumcised to be a Jesus follower. We're not under the law. Paul tells us if you keep some of it, you've got to keep all of it. And if you break it, then you're guilty and you're a lawbreaker. And we're like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and follow Christ then. That's the important thing. I'm not going to put myself under that law. And so what this does mean is for us, we don't go back searching through Leviticus. We don't go back and make statements as Christian that what's found back then and then try to claim it for today. That's not for us. Jesus has plenty to say. Quote him. Paul has plenty to say, but you don't go back to Leviticus because you're not going to do the stuff it says to do anyways. Any of you going to go stone somebody for breaking the law? Right. Stop looking back there. I mean, you can read it, great principles, understanding that Jesus fulfilled it, but understanding that's not for us today. But along with that, as Christians, we have to stop claiming the promises of Israel as if it applies to America. It does not. We cannot get our theology from politicians. We just can't. God is no longer establishing a nation. It served its purpose through Jesus Christ. We are, he points us, not to that nation, but to the promise made to Abraham. The law was temporary. Christ fulfilled what was necessary for that. But he points us back, not to just that, but to Abraham, the original covenant God put in place. Galatians, this is what Paul says. He says, for you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we get to know God, through faith in Jesus Christ. What about the Old Testament? What about it? Come to faith in Jesus Christ. That, that's what he came for. He came for this. He says, all who have been united with Christ in baptism 
have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew sorry, or, or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. Does that mean like we're all just this neutral thing? He's like, no, no. God's no longer just looking out for the Jews or just looking out for Gentiles or just looking out for males and females don't count like it used to be back in the day, right? We all know. He's like, no, no, it's not about that. Now it's about through faith in Jesus Christ. These separations, these things we want to put. He's like, no, no, no. Now we're all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are under the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So this is who we are. The law is no longer our God, but Christ fulfilled the covenant made to Abraham about, hey, I'm going to bless the whole world through you, Abraham. If you're like, hey, I don't even know who Abraham is. We got this group that meets called Starting Point. We're starting in January. Love for you to come in and be a part about that, learn all about this covenant and how all that stuff works together. But here's my point. If you think, and I mean this lovingly, if you think God is still working through Israel as a nation and blessing his people through that, you have not understood the radical claims made by Jesus Christ and the purpose of the church. The church is what God has established to be his people. This is why we're here. This is what we're doing. It's now through the church God is working. God's people have been expanded, not to just be one nation, but anyone under the Messiah. So in Christ Jesus, you are God's people. He's not establishing a nation. He established a church, a gathering, a group of people to accomplish his purposes in this world. And so it's not Israel over here and the church over here. And it's not that the church replaced Israel. It's that Israel now has been expanded through the Messiah. And anybody under Christ, I know this is theologically heavy, but it's important. Christ has expanded Israel. Now, anybody in Christ is a part of this promise to Abraham, this covenant. So in Christ, we are God's people. So if you hear nothing else, lean back in and just understand that we are not under the law. You don't look to the law for your guidance. You look to Jesus Christ. (coughs) It's all found in him. And so the best example I can give you to show you how serious Jesus took this is through the Passover celebration, through the Lord's Supper. Rocky, can you hear my water? (coughs) Oh, right here. Right here in front. Time out real quick, intermission. Scott, you want to sing? Got a little choked up. Got worked up this week. Thank you. That's good. We just kind of laid back around here, just drinking water, hanging out. So the best example to show how Christ fulfilled all of this is when we take the Lord's Supper. You see the Passover? The Passover was a holiday set in place by... God. It was a celebration for God's people to remember that he brought them out of Egypt. You remember that story? All right. You have Moses went and got God's people (coughs) out of slavery. And the way Israel was led out of there, remember all the plagues? Moses said, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no, you guys seen the movie at least. I don't know if you read the story, but you've seen the movie. And he let them out. But the, the last plague, the last thing What did Israel have to do in order to be set free so the angel of death didn't take their children? What was it? The blood over the doorway. Right, right. Okay, so you remember that. This blood, this sacrifice. By the blood, they would be saved and be led out of Egypt. 
And so when Jesus was fulfilling the, the, the Old Testament law and he was fulfilling the purposes, he then would celebrate Passover because he's Jewish. And so here's what they ask him, Matthew 26, 17. It says, on the first day of the festival, the unleavened bread, his disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? This was commanded by God that they celebrate. Jesus, being a good Jew, was like, yeah, here, we're going to go to this room, make all the arrangements, and they go and make it. And it's at this meal, this Passover meal, this celebration that God put in place, Jesus says this, as they were eating, <coughs> Jesus took some of the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took the cup of the wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. And so Jesus takes this meal, this Passover meal, this sacred holiday, and he turns the whole thing around and centers it on himself. He took the whole scriptures, their scriptures, and said, hey, it's about me. And they're like, you can't do that. He's like, well, I am. And he took their sacred meal, and he celebrated and said, hey, it's about me. When you do this now, it's about me. So this is the equivalent of, I've gave this example before, this is the equivalent on, on Christmas, me coming up and saying, hey, I know what you thought Christmas was about, but this year it's going to be about my birthday. How many, would you, how many of you would get up and walk out if I made Christmas about me? Just Jeb, nobody else. Okay, I appreciate y'all's commitment to me, okay? Jeb said he's leaving. But we cannot overestimate, <clears throat> overemphasize how big of a deal this was. He reoriented this sacred meal around himself. And he shows through that the whole Exodus thing, the whole sacrifice of blood, the whole leading out of slavery, which we now look at sin. He said, it was pointing to me. It's about me. It's what I've come to do. It's now about me and my body that's broken. The blood that's shed. He's saying, I am the Passover lamb. The thing you're celebrating, the thing you're remembering, it's now about me and what I'm doing for you. And so this morning, when we celebrate this, we have to remember Jesus' bold claims that we celebrate this because he took the Passover meal and he changed it all around himself. So we know by taking the Lord's Supper that Jesus came and fulfilled all of the old covenant, all of those laws. He says, hey, it's now in me. I'm taking care of this for you. And so we celebrate this and we remember Jesus because all of the laws, all of the rules, all of the things people used to have to do, we don't have to anymore because of Jesus. The relationship that was broken with God because of our sin has now been redeemed in Jesus. How we're made right with God is through Jesus. How we commune with God is through Jesus. We don't have to celebrate and go over these rituals and keep all this stuff. It's now about Jesus. Because he established a new covenant, which is what he says right here. Confirm, nope, go back. The new covenant, the covenant between God and his people. He established something new. He fulfilled the old and brought something new. For the forgiveness of our sins. And so when we take communion this morning, we're celebrating and remembering what Jesus has done.
It's about our forgiveness. It's about his grace, about his love, and about he fulfilled all this stuff we could never fulfill and then extends an invitation saying, anybody is welcome. You want to be in a good relationship with God? Come through me. Be a part of this new covenant. Be a part of what I'm doing in this world. We're like, Jesus, what about? He said, I've taken care of that. But what about what's, I, I, I did it. Just trust in me. So I asked the deacons to come forward. They're going to help us pass out the elements. And what I ask is that uh, communion here is open to all believers. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're more than welcome to take communion with us. If you're not a believer, it's okay. Just kind of pass the thing next to you. Um, you, don't have to, you don't have to take one. We won't think it's out or weird at all. And so what we're going to do is Scott's going to play some... Here he is. Scott's going to play some music for us as we pass out the elements. Just hold the elements. We'll take them together. I've heard several times that when I forget to say that, some people take them instantly because they're used to other churches. Then they're looking around. Everybody else is holding it. And I'm like, ah, it's all right. We'll get you seconds if you need it. But if you can, just, just hold it, and we'll take it all together. Let me pray over this. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. As we remember the blood that was spilled for us, the body that was broken for us, and Jesus came to accomplish his, the, the, the purposes that you've given him to fulfill the law. We're so thankful that we now relate to you through grace, through your love. Thank you. We, we don't know how to make sense of everything that's happened in the past. We don't know how to make sense of everything that's happened in the Old Testament. We're just so thankful for Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord of all, who came and laid down his life so we can have fellowship and communion with you. So we celebrate that today. And we remember Jesus, that he came to fulfill and he came to accomplish this. So Lord, we thank you for that. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.